everybody, and welcome back to What You Missed on GH This Week podcast. I just wanted to apologize for it taking so long for me to get back. Things got a little busier than I was expecting, so I have this special nearly hour-long podcast episode for you guys. Hope you enjoy it. It's all about the Cassidines. Just in time for May Sweeps. I have a lot of points to get through with a lot of example dialogue, so this might be broken up into two or three parts. So, the first thing I wanted to talk about is... I was a history major in college, and I have a theory... And I don't know how accurate it actually is, but I have this theory that the Ice Princess (laughs) storyline was a metaphor for the Cold War. Now, hear me out, because it was a group of Americans racing against a group of Russians family of Russians who literally wanted to freeze the world. And I feel like, okay, if you just look at the name, first of all, I feel like that is symbolic of what they're trying to allude to. And then, um, like, the formula for the stuff to freeze the world, I only got through the first half of the storyline. I never really, I haven't really reached the end, but it just it makes sense to me that it would be a metaphor for the cold war because they have so many like they have so many little details that in my opinion point toward it being a bit of a metaphor for the cold war i know this was right towards the end of the cold war but it was the time of all the big spy thrillers and like i said american spies just like the whole spy adventure the WSB, and it just, it's a part of the times, and it just shows what was going on in America, and I think that's really cool. Next, I think it's really cool that the character of Helena came about because Liz Taylor wanted a cameo because she was such a big fan of the Luke and Laura storyline. Like, think about that. Without Liz Taylor asking to have a cameo part, we would not have one of the most memorable villains on this show. Isn't that crazy? And I mean, she only played her for a couple episodes, and, like, Constance Towers is who I think of first when I think of Helena, but, like, wow. Just so interesting to, like, think of all the little choices and characters that, like, kind of come about from that. I'll get back to Helena in a little while. Uh, Stavros? Stavros scares me. The original one scares me more than Robert Telford Kelly's version. I think because the original one, that version of the character is the one who hurt Laura on screen. And changing the actor makes it easier to accept, kind of like how I am with Franco. Like, it's much easier for me to accept the new Franco. Not that I can accept the new Stavros, because he's still kind of terrifying. But, like, the first Stavros, he has a whole scene from the 80s explaining why he kidnapped like he's explaining Laura's kidnapping and it's so strange to me to watch because he basically says well first the people who were helping him just told Laura the entire 
plan and how they achieved everything. And I'm like, these are not good villains. <laughs> they just told her everything. And she was like, well, why would anyone want me want to think I'm dead? And then they kind of, I guess, give Stavros a signal when he walks in. And he's like, oh, wow, you're more beautiful than I thought. The first three sentences he says rhyme. <laughs> Which is strange. But anyway... <laughs> Um, he does basically say you're more beautiful than I thought, and then he says, I think I'll make it my personal mission to look after you, and Laura just says no, and she's like, people will realize I'm missing, they'll, they'll be searching for me, they'll find me, and he's like, why would anyone search for you when they think you're dead, and then he said, cooperate and no harm will come to you, and she was like, why do you think I need protection, and anyway, towards the end, she looked down, she saw the pictures of Mikos and Helena, and she said, the Cassidines, and he nodded, and then she starts sobbing and saying no, and then it cuts to Stavros in the present day in the 80s talking to one of his people and being like, and it was then that I knew she had to be mine. And I was like, that's so strange, and then I realized that this is from Stavros's POV, and Stavros does not understand that what he does is wrong. Like, when he came back, he was kind of taunting Luke, and Luke was like, you beat her, and you were awful to her. And he says, says the man who raped her. But it's like, he doesn't realize that he also did that. And then he explained the night that he tried to, uh, air quotes, reclaim Laura. <sighs> that was awful. I hate that I've ever seen that video. It is so disturbing. But his explanation of it is very on the like romantic side and like he didn't understand that he was also hurting her. But like the point is the original Stavros just something about him creeps me out more. I think it is because he's the one who was playing Stavros in that scene where Stavros tried to reclaim Laura and his first death. And I mean like Robert Kilker Kelly, I prefer his version of Stavros because, like, he's more theatrical, which makes him slightly less terrifying. He's still terrifying to me, but, you know, a little less so because he's a little over the top. And the original, at least in public, was very, like, cool and level-headed and obviously not the way of Luke and Laura. And speaking of Robert Kilker Kelly, I feel like I need to defend him after the Ice Princess 2.0 death scene in 2013. Lots of people commented on YouTube when I was watching that clip. Oh, it's such a shame he used to be such a good actor. And you know what? Yes, that was like probably the most over-the-top soap opera death scene I've ever seen. Ever. I mean, I'm sure there were more. <laughs> but you know, from my very limited experience of watching soap operas. That was one of the most over-the-top ones. But, like, that cannot all be blamed on Robert Kelke Kelly. The writers and directors can be blamed as well. And you know what? There were other characters that were off that day, too. And, like, controversial opinion, I feel like Laura was off. Like, not the first day, like, when Stavros appears for the first time and she screams and, like, hides behind Luke. Because that makes sense, because every time she is confronted this man, 
before of this man who had hurt her so bad. She has been in Port Charles, and now she is back in his territory where he is the one who hurt her, and he has the control in that situation. You know? And she has no control. So, like, it makes sense for her to be scared because she has PTSD, and it makes complete sense for her to be acting that way. But the scene where she killed him just felt off, and I don't know why it felt off. I don't know. I feel so bad saying that, but I'm just saying. Robert Kelfer Kelly was not the only one who was kind of off. And I love Jeannie Francis, so I'm not saying Jeannie Francis did a bad job. I don't really know what I'm trying to say here. Also, okay, when Stefan first came to town, he quoted to Laura what Stavros had said on his deathbed in 1983. Did they ever explain how Stefan was there watching his brother die? Because that room had no closet. And it was a big room, at least from like the angle they filmed in. So... Did they ever explain how he witnessed his brother's death in the hospital? Because that was the reason he was so mad at her in the first place. <sighs> Stefan, when he first came, was a bit of a jerk. And... yeah. But, anyway. I have a list here. Okay. And Helena is... I think she is a psychopath. She's very... well, she's cold. But, like, there was a scene... In 2010-2011, after Keither had been abusing Christina and Alexis ran Keither over with her car, and Helena, Alexis, takes Christina to Windermere to kind of let her, like, let them both kind of decompress and hide out from the media. Helena shows up out of nowhere, and they trade barbs for several minutes, but then she basically, she tells Alexis, if anyone ever beat my child, meaning Stavro, she could not care less about Stefan or Valentin or Irina, but anyway, she said, if anyone ever beat my child, I would run them over with my sports car and then back over them until I was sure they were dead. And then she looked at Alexis and said, of course, I don't think you could ever kill anybody purposely. Because you are too cerebral to get any joy out of it. And, oh. I wonder if Alexis was thinking about that when she went to stab Franca with the syringe. That's what I was thinking of when that happened. <laughs> I was thinking about that conversation. But honestly, Helena probably would have clapped if someone hurt Stefan. Okay. And her treatment of Alexis bothers me so much. Because in 1997... I think when she came back and Constance Towers made her debut as Helena, because there was a different actress playing her in 1996 and they just completely changed actresses. Anyways, she tells her, did you know that the sapphire is supposed to be like a symbol of protection? And Alexis says, I'm not, like, she's not very superstitious. And she says, well, it did a very good job of what it was supposed to do because... One night, I went to a woman's house, and she slipped her ring off and put it around her daughter's neck, and I ended up killing her instead. Something like that. And basically saying she was trying to kill Alexis instead of uh, Kirsten, which is very disturbing. Like, no child asks to be the product of an affair, and it's terrible to, like, hurt a child that way. What threat did Alexis even pose? 
you know? It's not like she was going to get any of the estate because the way it works in that family is it's the eldest son of the eldest son of the eldest son. Alexis wasn't going to get anything, except in 2000 when she became trustee for a short time when they all thought Stefan was dead. And I kind of like that Stefan had left it to her, I think. And like, then that whole storyline bothers me because Mikos' decision to just let Helena kind of decide how this child is going to live is awful because Helena put her in the servants' quarters. She had to wake up at five o'clock in the morning as a five-year-old. What five-year-old is not grumpy after waking up at five o'clock in the morning? And if she didn't wake up when they woke her up, they'd throw cold water on her. I do not know why I remember all of these details that Alexis shared with Luke so vividly, but here they are. I mean, she couldn't have any meals until the family had eaten. Which, like, she's part of the family, and I hate that Mikos didn't st stand up to Helena, but Helena is kind of terrifying, so I guess I understand why. And I really hope that, that eventually changed. And, like, I know that Helena did it, but why did Mikos not try to stop her? Admittedly, he seems to be the one who kind of taught Sta Stavros all the kind of negative stuff that Stavros did, so I don't think he really cared. And also, who on earth, other than Helena Cassidyne, would promise for a son a child with a woman. You cannot promise that. Ugh, the whole Ice Princess 2.0 storyline is crazy, and the forced marriage is awful, and there's a scene there that bothers me, because I'm like, do you not? <laughs> like, it bothered me, and then I kind of thought about it more. So the scene is when Helena is officiating this fake wedding between Stavros and Lulu, because Stavros even keeps saying your husband about Dante, so he knows she's married and he knows it's not legal. I don't know. But the point is, <laughs> the scene opens, and I do not need Lulu's point of view. It creeps me out enough to watch it from the third person POV. I don't need Lulu's POV. Stavros looking at her, I don't like first person POVs on this show. Anyway, Lulu understandably zones out and is like, what on earth? Why is this happening to me? I'm sure that's what she was thinking. And Stavros is like, Lulu, Leslie Lou, she's asking you something. And then she goes, hmm? And Helena says, well, I must say, Lulu, I expected that you had more of your father in you, but you appear to be as vapid as your mother. And that bothers me because I'm like, Laura is not vapid. And I know that's like Helena's favorite insult to use. But vapid means like, not smart and kind of dumb and vain but then i realized of course that laura would not show that true side of herself while she was a captive on this island because stavros hurt her a lot and helena hated her a lot <clears throat> and then lulu's like oh i'm sorry could you repeat that again and she's like, oh, very that Spencer mouth. Helena says some other things, such as Stavros will take care of that in no time. And he makes a creepy face. Also, side note, the faces he makes during the reading of the vows are hilarious to me. Like Helena reading, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer. He rolls his eyes on poorer and it makes me laugh. And then... What is Stavros's issue with the city of Paris? Because in 2001, after Laura has rejected him, 
he's sitting in his he's sitting in their room. He's like, Oh Laura, this necklace would have looked beautiful around your throat which is a very menacing way of saying that. And then he says, and it would have been nice to see you wear this dress, too, as he picks up this actually really pretty looking blue gown. Would have been nice to see you wear this as we danced around Milan or Paris. And he he rolls his eyes when he says Paris. And I just want to know the backstory on why he hates Paris so much. And it's probably because it's like the stereotypical romantic city. But I just want to know what his issue is. <laughs> but, like, the problem is, Laura, when she was talking to Luke about this on The Haunted Star in, like, 2001, when they were trying to save Lucky, she said that Helena had told her many times, whatever Stavros wants, he shall have. Which is the worst way to raise a kid. Why would you raise a kid like that? Especially if you're gonna treat his siblings like they're scum. Because, like, she treated Alexis and Stefan terribly, you know, the siblings that he grew up with. It's all just so... Don't ever raise your kid with the mindset of whatever they want, they will have. Because I think that got her into some tricky situations later. Like, she didn't like Laura, she didn't want Stavros to marry Laura, but Stavros wanted to marry Laura. And because she had set the precedent of whatever he wanted he would have, she had to kind of go with it. And then she told Laura that Luke was alive, and then Stavros got mad and chased him down, and then Stavros attempted to uh, assault Laura, and then Luke knocked him out with a bedpost, with a bed knob thing, and then he he got knocked out. And then they were about to leave, and then he came to the top of the stairs, and he, like, fell or fainted or something, and he did several front flips down the stairs, and then he broke his neck and died. So, in conclusion, raising your child with that idea is terrible. And then, (sighs) she brought Catherine Bell back to life, which I don't have an issue with, you know? However, she made Catherine feel indebted to her by bringing her back to life. And then, when Catherine couldn't get Stefan back, because Stefan had moved on to be with Laura, which is understandable. So Helena convinced Catherine to get to date Nicholas and basically take advantage of Nicholas's crush on her in order to get back at Stefan. And she claims to care about her grandson. She just toys with her grandson's emotions to get back to her son, which just proves... She does not care, and it's, hmm. And the fact that Catherine made up a pregnancy to get Nicholas to marry her, and then Helena killed Catherine, it, ugh. It's so bad and so annoying, and I hate that storyline. I will say, though, Stefan and Catherine had pretty good chemistry, and I know Mary Beth Evans and Stephen Nichols are also Steve and Kayla on days. They have much better chemistry as Patch and Kayla on days, in my opinion. I love watching old videos of those characters from the 80s. (sighs) But, like, it's awful. And Helena in the courtroom, after the judge has called her to the witness stand to talk about why she did this, she's just like, oh, that's illegal? I didn't realize. And the judge is like, you didn't think 
that faking a woman's death and then bringing her back to life with an experimental drug and not telling anyone about the fact that she was actually alive was illegal? And she's like, how should I know? I know I'm not from here. And it was, oh, it was awful. Although the faces of everybody in the courtroom were pretty funny. I liked Stefan's face and Nicholas's face. Nicholas is just like, what on earth? And the DA, I did not like that DA. She was just, she was wanting Stefan to go to jail. And I don't know why she wanted Stefan to go to jail so badly. And it really bothers me. And I know I've already talked about it. But honestly, one of my favorite Luke scenes is when he invites Helena to his club. And he starts playing burlesque music. And as soon as he gets everybody's attention, he drops the curtain hiding the uh, nude portrait of Helena. Which, by the way, why would, why would Stefan give that to him if he, like, had those kinds of weird feelings for Helena? You know, like, I don't think that he would just give Luke his portrait. I think Stefan gave Luke the portrait because he knew that Luke was going to use it to embarrass Helena. So... I think they actually ended up working together that one time. <laughs> Who disowns a six-year-old other than Mikos and Helena? That is how old Valentin was when he was disowned. Six years old. Six. Who throws a child out on their own as a six-year-old? And they sent him to boarding school. That's still terrible, and I hate that they did that to him. And then, why send Alexis to boarding school? My theory, I actually have a pretty interesting theory about that, because that is what Mikos and, like, Mikos paid for her to go to boarding school. So my theory is they kept bringing up a lot how Stefan and Alexis were always, like, with each other, and Stefan was getting shut up with stuff, and Alexis was so loyal to him. And honestly, probably fed up too, because she was treated terribly. But my theory is that they were getting a little too close to actually getting the power from the rest of the family. So that's why she got sent to boarding school. Although, who knows? But Stefan did pay for her university and law school, which is good. And he just seemed like a good older brother. Except for the demand of fierce loyalty and then kicking her out. That was not good. And, uh, poor Stefan. The one flashback where we get to his childhood, he is wearing a suit, and Stavros is not. Stavros is wearing all black, but that's not really my point here, other than the fact that those poor children had to dress formally all the time. Because when Alexis shows up in the scene, she's dressed like Jackie Kennedy at JFK's inauguration, except it's pink, and she was like 10, and like, I don't know, dressing formally all the time just seems kind of sad. But it also points out that this is in the, like, late 60s, early 70s, which is really interesting from a fashion standpoint. Anyways, so, this flashback is part of a special episode that they did in, like, 2001, where they had all the different characters having nightmares about Stavros, and... In this scene, it opens with Alexis running, like, saying, Stefan, where are you? And he's like, I'm in here. And then, like, shows him in his room. And then Alexis comes in, and he's playing with this model boat. And she was like, oh, that's so cool. Where'd you get it? 
and he says, Father brought it back for me from London. Did he bring you anything? And she says, no, he never does. And he's like, that's all right. We can share. And then Stavros walks in and he says, as long as you're sharing with her, you might as well share with me too. And he gets really upset. And Stefan says, you don't need this, Stavros. Father brought you a horse. And Stavros is like, well, a horse won't fit in my room. This will. And then, like, Stavros walks closer to try and take the boat. And Stefan stands up and looks at him and says, no, Stavros, or I'll tell father I swear it. And Stavros is like, please, like, father will listen to anything you have to say. And then Alexis stands up in the background and looks at him and says, I'll tell too. And he's like, well, father might listen to both of you. So if I'm going to be punished, I might as well make it worth it. And so he picks up the boat. He drops it, and it smashes, and he stomps on it to smash it more. And then Stefan is sitting there upset, and I really hope he was able to glue that boat back together. And he says, Stefan, if you ever have anything I want, I will take it from you. You do well to remember that. And I just feel so bad for Stefan having to grow up in that environment. Also, the kid who played Stavros in that flashback when all the children did a good job but the kid who played Stavros especially did a really good job in my opinion because he got the cadence of his speech down correctly because Stavros has a unique speech cadence that kid did a really good job and like but then there's also the scene well actually then that nightmare turns into him as an adult sitting there looking at the smashed boat and Alexis coming out and being like Stefan basically saying Stefan follow your heart and he's like well what if this isn't the right thing about pursuing a relationship with Chloe and then Chloe appears and they start making out and then he's watching from a different angle, and then Stavros, uh, the point is, it turned into a nightmare, but, like, it's so strange, because when he kidnapped Chloe, while he was kidnapped by Helena, still wrong to do that, but when he kidnapped her, and they were talking, she found his journal, because he had suggested that she, uh, find a boring book to try and fall asleep because she was saying she couldn't sleep and he suggested like you know the boring book method and she goes to the study and she picks a latin grammar book and she opens it and she finds his journal from when he was 10 and he gets upset but then she talks to him and she was like do you miss stavros but he says stavros was mean and a bully but you know there was a fairness about him and he was often kind to alexis and myself and then chloe says do you miss him and he says not often but sometimes i feel like if we had been left alone we would have been close like real brothers that's just so sad like 
because he says that Helena is partly responsible for influencing him into that bad path. And there's a scene where we're, when we're doing like the flashbacks kind of to the story of him and Laura, which by the way, he is supposed to be 17 in these scenes and he is the oldest 17 year old I've ever seen. Anyway, the point is, um, we're talking and like Helena and Stavros had found some of his uh, poems that he'd written. And they decided to read them to humiliate him. And Stavros was passed out drunk. And Laura came out into the garden and found Stefan. And Stefan said something about his father. And Laura said, did your father teach him how to drink like that too? And Stefan said, I wouldn't know. He rarely talked to me. Like, that's just such a miserable sounding childhood. And then Laura is like, come on, I have an idea. And they catch frogs and put them in Helena's bed. And I love that. <laughs> I love that scene. It is one of my favorites. I just, I love that it's kind of Laura's way of fighting back. And then, like, I hate that Stefan threw Alexis out. But I also kind of understand why he did. Even if he didn't know that she had already lied about the, uh sibling thing with Catherine and like that whole situation you know what I'll just rant about Catherine here for a minute when she came to the house to try to see Stefan and Alexis was like you know you're not welcome here anymore and she kind of went on her little angry just like insult thing one of the things I did not like was the very strange well you're just jealous and alexis was like of what and Catherine was like you're just upset because here in america you can't marry your cousin and you just want him all to yourself because your perfect family is you and your cousin and your nephew and in your mind you're just jealous that you can't marry your cousin like all those european families used to do and i was like that is so rude so rude and it's so different from the uh character that i'm used to mary beth evans playing but like i just cannot imagine i mean like i know that she didn't know why stefan all of a sudden felt so uncomfortable around her and like didn't really want to um act on his emotions but like to assume that alexis wanted to marry stefan is so strange and, like, yes, she was, like, hyper-loyal to him. But think about the environment that she grew up in. Like, did Catherine not know about the environment that they grew up in? Because I understand completely why Alexis would be so loyal to him when he protected her. He cared about her when the rest of the family didn't really seem to. I just really don't like Catherine's rude assumption there. There's a scene where Helena says, Really? This coming from the boy who taught her for everything and who protected her throughout her childhood. You really don't care. He says no, but he's turned away and you can see how much it pains him. It was a very unhealthy, I will admit, very unhealthy sibling relationship. They were so close. Like, if they could just bring Stefan back to fix his relationship with Alexis, I would love that. And now, here are two issues that I have with Stefan. Number one. Why on earth 
when Stefan was proposing to Catherine. Did he use the parable of a merchant and the pearl of great price? That's not what that parable is about. That parable is about the merchant giving up everything he had to follow Jesus. It is not about finding a woman in your life. And admittedly, I don't exactly see the Cassidines as a family that went to church every Sunday, but as he said that to Catherine, he was talking about how he had a nanny who used to tell him in Stavros Bible stories. And that was one of the ones that she told him. And I was like, oh, you're using it out of context and it hurts. So everyone in that family seems to have a problem with using stuff out of context majorly. Like, Helena and Stavros have also used scripture out of context a lot. My other issue with Stefan is that, like, why did he tell Nicholas about Luke raping Laura? Or Catherine, for that matter. That wasn't any of his business. I mean, I understand why, I guess, he would have told Nicholas, especially when he knows that Luke was telling Lucky what happened with Stavros. Ugh, I cannot... That's one of the toughest scenes I've ever seen, where Lucky and Nicholas are, like, fighting each other, physically and verbally. And Lucky's like, oh, what would you know? You're the product of rape. And Nicholas looks so hurt. And he says, yeah, well, your father raped your mother before he married her. And then that threw Lucky through a loop. And you know what? Lucky shouldn't have found out that way. Onto a happier note, Stefan was really good with kids. That's what I discovered from watching all those later videos in that one. Uh, there's the um, scene at the restaurant where he joins Lulu and Laura for dinner. And I don't know, he just, like, he talks to Lulu in funny voices, and I don't know. Um, and then later, after Lucky dies, which, yes, I know, he probably knew sooner than he did something about it, but... At least he did something about it. Anyway, after Lucky died, and he went over to try and comfort Laura, who he had saved from being hit by a train. That's a heartbreaking scene. But when he goes over to talk to her, Laura goes upstairs to call Bobby because it's also the anniversary of BJ's death that day. So she goes upstairs, and she comes back down, and he and Lulu are having a tea party. And that scene just melts my heart, and I think I've watched it, like, eight times. <laughs> it's just so sweet. And, like, not necessarily something you'd expect Stefan Cassidine to do. And, like, then, later, when he and Laura are dating, he has to go away on business, and Laura's like, call me, and then Laura's like, Lulu, do you want to give Stefan a hug and so she does and then she pulls away and she says will you call me too and he laughs and he's like yes and then he tells Laura I guess I'll be in contact and he comes back and Laura was like I wish you could have seen her face when you called person to person and the operator said her name and then she said but you didn't have to send her a doll from every city that you visited and he was like, well, I didn't want her tea parties to get lonely. And I just, that is the Stefan that I like. Not the weird, angry one that he started as, and the awful, mean, 
kind of terrifying one that he ended as. I like the one in the middle who was nice, who really got along with Lulu well. And um, by the way, in 2001, when Stavros came back and he's talking to Laura and he's trying to convince her that he's changed, she's and she's like, well, if that's the truth, then let my family go and he's like I can't do that she's like see you haven't changed well he says that no harm will come to Nicholas or Leslie Lou which is just creepy to think about knowing what he does 12 years later but I don't think she was in danger really in the first place I don't know where she was in that whole situation I'm so lost I, I didn't watch all of the endgame storyline but, like, she's like, well, what about Lucky? And he's like, I can't promise that. And she says, see, you haven't changed. And he says, Lucky is Luke's son. Which just, why is Stavros so, like, anti-Lucky? But then I realized that it's because Lucky is second born, and he didn't care much for Stefan. I mean, he did, but, like, not, like, a normal sibling, so... I think he was used to Stefan being treated poorly, so he felt that way about Lucky. And that's even something that he told Luke when they were fighting after Stavros revealed himself and Luke finally bought it after like 30 minutes. But he's like, Lucky is always going to be Laura's second born. She's never going to love him as much as she loves Nicholas. Okay. Also, I love that, at least in all the videos I've seen, Elena has only ever, like, laughed twice. Well, evil laughed. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. One of those was in a strange dream in that nightmare sequence special I was telling you about, where Gia dreams she has magical powers, and Helena shows up, and she's laughing, and she's like, stop, let go of Nicholas, his Helena grabbed Nicholas, and she's like, don't you understand? He's one of us. He'll never be one, he'll never be with you. And she said, I said let him go, and like, she uses like magical powers to make him, make her stop. But also, Nicholas's nightmare. Nicholas's nightmare was powerful, because it's him at a table with Helena, and Helena's like, drink. Like, you'll see your true identity. Like, he goes to, and then Gia and Laura show up. And they're both wearing the same outfit. I don't know why Gia and Laura are both wearing the same outfit. There's probably some kind of symbolism there. But they're like, no. Gia's like, no, don't do this. And Laura's like, Nicholas, you're so much better than this. And he's like, no. And he's like, no, I have to. It's my family duty. He drinks it, he looks in the mirror, and he sees Stavros's reflection, and it scares him. And then, like, I think his nightmare scares him more than Gia's dream, but it's powerful. Like, that's one of my favorite sequences. One of my favorite dream sequences. I like the one that Stefan has. I like the one that Laura has, where she's, like, on a movie set. And I like the one that Nicholas has. The other time that we actually ever really saw her laugh evilly was when Luke was brought in the cryonics chamber area beneath the hospital. And she was like, look around. What do you see? And he was either in denial or really, really stupid. 
I hate saying Luke was stupid, but there were a couple of moments where I'm just like, Luke, oh my word. <sighs> but, um, he's like, what? And then she moves, and he, she's like, take a closer look. And he sees Stavros in, like, the cryonics chamber. And he's like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. This can't be real. He can't be alive. Like, you've tried to keep him alive, but nothing's working. And then she's like, she says something, but the point is, Stavros sits up, and he's like, I'm back, and then they start laughing. That always makes me laugh. <laughs> it's just so, like, cartoon villain, it's funny. It's not funny, because then, oh, Stavros says some messed up stuff to Luke, which I think is his way of trying to taunt him and get him to try and kill him so that he can kill Luke. Ugh, I just, why? Why does Stavros think he's better for Laura? There's just, see, that's the thing that I find interesting about his character, not anything, like, about him personally. I guess it is kind of personally. Just the fact that he seems convinced that he is better for Laura than Luke. Other than being a narcissist, why does he think he's better? Because he hurt her in the exact same way that he's so mad at Luke for hurting her. Because I don't think he understands that just because they were married. I don't know. I don't know why he has a hard time grasping that. And then the, the relationship between Helena and Stavros seems very unhealthy. You know? I think she uses him for her power. Like, as a source of her power. And I think that's why she's always kind of favored him. I don't know if it was truly love as much as it was power. I just, it's so sad to me because I that's not love giving your kid whatever he wants and never disciplining him is not love and like it just seems off you know and I saw this comment on YouTube and I feel so bad but I can't remember who wrote it and I'm really sorry but it was on one of the videos after Stavros had been unfrozen like it was right after that but before he was really like communicating again so it was silent except for him like heavily breathing but basically, someone said that Helena basically emotionally replaced Mikos with Stavros after Mikos cheated on her, which I think explains a lot about the way that she acts with Stavros. Very interesting. There is another scene like that kind of ties in. There are a couple of scenes that tie in all the nightmares, and Helena finds Stavros on the rooftop, and he's looking at a rose. And she's like, he's like, are you going to make a habit of this, mother? And she's like, of what? Looking for you when you keep disappearing? Yes, it appears I will be. Something happens. And then she's like, Stavros, where'd you get that rose? And he's like, a flower shop, of course. And she's like, oh, because the plan's not going to work. And he's like, well, I had no choice. There is no rose garden here. And I went into the store looked at every single rose, and none of them were the right color. They aren't the right color. The closest I could find was this, but none of them matched the color of the roses in Laura's hair on the day we were married. And I still remember our wedding day, and me kissing her on the altar, and how still she was. Almost frozen. Ironic, isn't it? I apparently cannot uh, start a quote without finishing it. And Helena's like, oh, Stavros. Also, in that scene, he says, I remember kissing her on the altar instead of at the altar. And I'm like, 
That just gives you a completely different mental image. Doesn't make sense. At one point, um, during those connecting scenes in the nightmare special episode thing, actually, I think it's right before the first one with Laura that he starts he starts pulling the flower petals off and starts doing the whole she loves me, she loves me not thing, which is just very weird to see a 40-something-year-old man doing that. It, it's very strange, especially someone who is always, like, so serious. It's very weird. And then he's like, Mother, do you realize that without you, this would not have happened? And she's like, what? And he's like, if you hadn't lied, I would still be with Laura. If you hadn't told her that Luke was alive, we would still be together, and we'd have more children, and we could be happy. And Helena's like, Stavros, you wouldn't have been happy with her. And then they have this whole argument, and then he's like, I might forgive you if this works out well, and then it doesn't work out well, and then he falls down the bottomless pit that's not bottomless. And I think it's funny that Stavros fell down the pit laughing all the way down. And, I don't know, like, him being like, I would have been able to raise Nicholas. Which, that scares me, because Nicholas right now, I see a lot of Stefan in him. Which, like, if he's gonna embrace his Cassidyne side, I'm glad it's Stefan and not Stavros. But, like, not good, you know? I'm, I'm happy. In other words, I'm happy that Stavros didn't have a chance to raise Nicholas. Because at least... Stefan tried to raise him with a good moral compass for the most part. You know, like when Stefan did shady things, he didn't ever really include Nicholas, which is good. And like his last appearance, I will admit, was the most over the top. Well, not the most. 2013 was more over the top than 2014. 2014 was more sinister to me, but 2013, there were a couple of moments where I was like, what on earth? Like, um, when Dante broke the computer ID thumbprint thing for the door to the cryonics chamber, and him running to the cryonics chamber was funny. But also the fact that he runs in, opens the door, and says, You, the husband, stop that right now! And I'm like, so you admit that she's already married! So your idea, your plan doesn't work in the first place. And then his, uh, dramatic sobbing of my ice princess as he is frozen is very humorous and it's not meant to be and it's not it's not all robert Tucker kelly's fault he retired and became a pilot like are you really gonna blame him for maybe his acting not being like like as good as it was in the 90s i don't understand why everyone's so mad at him Maybe not at him, maybe about the way that this scene was directed, because Laura's acting was also off. And also, there's this quote, like, okay, in 2014, when Stavros is like, I have an embryo that is ours, and all that's left to do is implant it. Yeah, I think that is what he says. Either way, <laughs> Lulu's like, I can't carry a child, Stavros. And he clapped, and he's like, wonderful diversion. And she's like, it's not a diversion, it's one of the most painful truths of my life. I cannot carry my own child. And he says, in my year of recovery, I've been able to do some research on you. And I know that you recently had a surgery, which, by the way, how creepy is that? That he was just reading her medical records. But he's like, I know that you recently had a minor surgery that fixed your problem. You're a whole woman now. 
and Dante is like Lulu is handcuffed to one side of the room, like on the railing of one side of the room, and Dante is handcuffed on the other side of the room, and Dante is like, she's always been a whole woman, you've just never been man enough to have her because you're a freak! And that's another example of Stavros's amazing facial expressions, because <laughs> he rolls his eyes and he's like, say what you will about me, but you will have my child! And then he grabs Lulu, and then it makes me really uncomfortable to watch the rest of the scene. But how on earth is Irina Helena's daughter? Because, like, Irina was at least in her early 20s, at least in 2011, which would mean that Helena would have had to have been probably mid to late 40s when she had her, which, I mean, I guess is possible, but it's just kind of like, I don't know, not unrealistic. I mean, I guess it's normal. I don't know. I guess it could happen. But, like, I just feel so bad for her. You know? Because Helena was trying to use her as an assassin? Helena had her killed. Who kills Helena? That's who. But, like, there was a comment on YouTube that said that they really, really wanted Irina to be Stefan's daughter with Laura. And I was like, yeah, that would have been cool. Except Stefan would have never ever left his child with Helena. Like, when Laura entrusted him with Nicholas before she left, she went and got on, I guess, the launch to the mainland to go home, and Helena was like, give Nicholas to me, and he said, no, you will never touch this child again if I have anything to say about it, and then there was this whole big custody battle, apparently. I fell down a big Stefan Cassidyne rabbit hole over the summer, in case you can't tell. And, like, it's just so sad to me. And also, with the original Stavros storyline, I know that Nicholas and Stefan were a, like, retcon, kind of, and they were added after the fact. But, like, so the whole thing about Helena telling Laura that Luke was alive doesn't make much sense, because in the original storyline, I'm pretty sure Stavros took Laura back to see Luke, like, to see Port Charles one last time. Something like that. He told her, I guess, that, like, if she had any contact with Luke, it, he would kill her family, which, that's romantic. I don't know why he thought that this would Ooh. He doesn't understand human emotions. Well, most emotions. He apparently could read love and loyalty in Gia's eyes when they talked about Nicholas. But, like, why would you kidnap- why would you kidnap someone and force him to marry you? First. Second, why would you think that that would work in making them fall in love with you? And why would you take them back to the town that they're from to let them see the man that they love? They can't communicate. And, like, it's so interesting because the scene where Luke sees her for the first time- she looks terrified and relieved. Like, it's such a mixture because she knows that if she speaks to him, Stavros will find out. And who was hiding in the bushes? Because there was someone hiding in the bushes who had black hair, but it wasn't Stavros. I mean, it might have been Stavros. I don't really know. I don't, I don't think Stavros would be just hiding in the bushes of the garden behind the mayor's mansion, though. I don't know. And then there is a scene in 2001 where Carly runs into Gia and she's like, 
Gia is with Stavros. If I don't know, it's Stavros. I think he's Lucian. And that was a weird time, too. But Carly is like, stay away from this man. He's a creep. Because he, like, tried to grab her in the park or something. And he was like, I am truly sorry. I just found out that someone that I loved deeply had moved on with their lives. And I didn't respond well. And I'm really sorry. And Carly's all like, hmm. And then Gia's like, why do you care who I see? And I'm like, okay, I know she probably doesn't mean it in the way that I'm used to hearing that, as in like, hey, are you seeing anybody? Like, talking to people about, like, dating and stuff. I'm like, please tell me she didn't mean it as in that, because, like, that's weird to be dating your ex-boyfriend's father who you don't realize is your ex-boyfriend's father. When Stavros was posing as Lucian, I don't know how you pronounce that name. I think that's how you pronounce it. Back in 2001. And it's so strange. Because he was actually pretty nice to Gia. He gave her some really, like, solid advice. Which is kind of crazy. Just because, like, that's not what you would expect from Stavros. But, like, he was actually pretty nice to her. There's a scene where Nicholas has just broken up with her because Helena basically forced him to choose and she's upset and she runs into him and he's like what's wrong and she explains and he says that he believes she'll find success with or without Nicholas that she doesn't really need Nicholas which I mean on the one hand that might be him trying to keep her out of his family but on the other hand it was what he said was like so nice which is just weird and I know I don't really have much else to say in fact also that scene where Carly tells Gia to get away from or like to stay away from him because he's a creep so weird because Gia says something about how he's in like finance business or something like that and Carly kind of starts to soften towards him and she's like so what do you do and he talks about like business analysis or consulting or something like that and she's like flirting with him almost although I know it wasn't flirting it was manipulation but she was like do you know anything about takeovers and he says oh yeah and she smiles and I'm like stop flirting with Stavros I mean like obviously you don't know he's Stavros but my goodness it it's weird. And then he kidnapped Gia, which is where the whole, like, him being like, every time we talk about you, Nicholas, Gia has such love and loyalty in her eyes, which then makes it confusing, because how can he read those emotions and not emotions like sadness? There's a quote from Stefan somewhere on YouTube, and he talks about how Stavros, after he married Laura, he'd go off on these trips that would last for weeks and force family members to let him stay with them and he'd come back hoping that the fear in Laura's eyes had changed to love and it never did and it always upset him. I forget when Stefan said that. I feel like he said that to Nicholas to explain stuff or to Catherine. He said it to one of them and part of the reason I haven't put out another podcast is that I was busy for a while and I haven't really been watching but I did hear about Nicholas's plan to protect Electus, and all I have to say is Nicholas buying Pentonville is the most Cassidyne thing they have had him do in years on this show. <laughs> it's interesting. It's an interesting strategy. That is for sure. <laughs> Alright, I think that's it. I hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast. I, but I'm just 
sorry it's taken me so long to get back. I've been kind of, I've been busy, and then I've just had other things come up in my life that took precedence over this. But I am back for the long haul, and yeah, I hope you'll enjoy this special episode. Thank you.